Hosea chapter 14, verse 1. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. If you, the orphan, finds mercy, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the Jew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive, and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the corn. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Here ends the Old Testament reading. Please do take a seat. Let me say a very good morning uh, to one and all. And I've got a slightly odd question to uh, start um, and uh, ask you this morning. Uh, That probably isn't going to surprise those of you who come here regularly, but if you're new here, please do bear with me. Uh, Here's my question. It's going to be up on the screen. Can you spot the odd one out? A, A, a family walk on a Scottish beach in glorious sunshine, no less. B, going to see Deacon Blue, one of my favorite bands, Scottish, no less, perform at Newcastle Racecourse. C, watching my beloved Partick Thistle take on Air United on the first day of the Scottish football season, or D, repentance, which if you don't know, is not a little village in Cornwall that we visited on our summer holidays, but is the crucial business of turning from sin and coming back to God. So, can you spot the odd one out? I'm sure you've guessed it. That's right. It is watching Partick Thistle on the opening day of the Scottish football season because all those other things were things I enjoyed doing over the summer. Uh, but, but nobody in their right mind could possibly enjoy watching Partick Thistle. You don't enjoy watching Thistle. You endure it. And boy, did we endure it. After about 20 minutes, Thistle were 2-0 down and the kids were all turning to me going, is this going to end soon? Can we go home yet? Now, I'm sorry for the trick question. But my aim this morning is not to run you through uh, my uh, family's uh, uh, holiday highlights from the summer, and neither is it to claim that I am just so much more holier than you, that I just love turning to the Lord and confessing my sin and repenting all the time, like it's the highlight of my year. But it's rather to show you that it should be. When we repent, when we really turn from sin and back to God, It is the most wonderful thing in the world. I wonder if that's how you feel about the word repentance. Or if you are dreading 
a whole sermon on the subject this morning. Well, I reckon that most of us do tend to think of repentance as something negative and depressing and restrictive. But Hosea, well, Hosea wants to help us see it as something wonderful and joyful, the greatest privilege of our lives. We're in this final week in the book of Hosea, and to some of you that might come as quite a relief. This has not been easy listening through this series. And as Ben said last week, often it's felt like we're covering the same ground over and over again. Now, the reason for that is not because we preachers have just uh, run out of fresh material, <laughs> but because the book of Hosea is one message repeated four times. It's a message about adultery, how God's people have been unfaithful to him, their perfect husband. It's a message about judgment as God's fair and inevitable response to his people's sin. And it's a message about also restoration as God promises to love his people despite their sin. And the book of Hosea takes us round and round that message until we finally come to the climax in Hosea chapter 14 as this chapter shows us the way back to God. So please do have a Bible open in front of you if you can. Hosea 14, it's page 759. And I've got two points to highlight from what Hosea is telling us here. Here's the first one. God invites us to repent. Do you see that there in verse 1? Hosea says to God's people, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Now, if you've been around, you've been paying attention closely as we've gone through this book, you'll remember that the people of Israel did try to return to God back in chapter 6. Though they were supposed to be married to God, they just ran off pursuing other lovers. But when things went pear-shaped, they said, come, let us return to the Lord. And their return looked really promising as they came with sacrifices, making all the right moves. But God saw right through it. They weren't really sorry for their sin. They were only really sorry for themselves. They were a lot like my kids when Fiona and I used to try and make them say sorry to one another when they were younger. Something happened and they needed to apologize for it and so we'd go and get them and bring them back to the scene of the crime. Marching them forward, pushing them forward like a condemned man on the way to the electric chair. And then we would have to prompt them as they stood before uh, their their brother or sister, or maybe it was us that they had offended. And we had to go, what do you say? Sorry. Who are you saying it to? Because at this point, uh, they were uh, head down, mumbling rather mournfully at their shoes. Sorry, Lucy. And what are you sorry for? And then they'd have to think really hard about, you know, what was it, what was it they possibly could have got wrong here? Uh, and then they'd go for the safe option, sorry for annoying you. And we'd go, no, 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 that wasn't quite what you actually did. And they'd go, okay, okay, sorry for pulling your hair. And for being alive. <laughs> Jamie. Sorry, it's not always Jamie, by the way. It's not just just to be clear. Okay, sorry for pulling your hair while repeatedly bashing you on the head with a cucumber. 
You know, and, and, and you don't know who to feel more sorry for, do you? Us as the parents or them as the kids. But they would go through this ritual, you know, saying whatever they had to, you know, to get it out of the way as quickly as possible so they could get on with enjoying their lives again and doing whatever they wanted to do. And the Israelites, they were like that. They weren't really sorry for their sin. They weren't hurt by it. They didn't hate it and how it broke God's heart. They just were going through the motions. And so God said to them, don't just do your duty. I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, he says in Hosea 6.6. Steadfast love, not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. When did I stop being a real person to you with a real heart? And folks, if Hosea has had it right in this book, that being a Christian is a bit like being married to God. And if what we've done in our sin is commit spiritual adultery against him, then maybe repentance might not be as easy as we might think. In my marriage, I don't know about you if you're married, um, what, you find fa- what you find it hard to say sorry for, but I find it hard to say sorry for minor toothpaste offenses. <laughs> so imagine trying to say sorry for an affair. Do you think it would be easy to apologize for adultery. Well, this is why God doesn't call us to simply mumble a quick sorry and promise to do the dishes for the next couple of months. <laughs> no, he calls us to return. Do you see that there in verses one and two? Return, O Israel, return to the Lord. In your sin, you have turned away from God and are heading down the highway in total opposite direction. Do you turn? Stop. Turn around and come back to him. You see, repentance isn't just saying sorry, is it? It is a complete reordering of the direction of your life. And we see that in this prayer Hosea encourages to pray in verses 2 to 3. Take words with you, he says, and return to the Lord. Say something to God. Speak. Maybe you've never prayed before. Maybe the whole idea just seems weird to you. But have a go. As you turn to him, talk to him. What are you going to say? Well, Hosea suggests three things. He gives us them actually on a plate. One, ask God for forgiveness. You see verse two? Say to him, take away all iniquity. Iniquity literally means bentness, which suggests that Our own natures are bent somehow, so we don't naturally go in a Godward direction like a shopping trolley with a dodgy wheel. We veer away. And so we aren't just to pray that God would ignore our sin or, you know, just (laughs) just leave it over in the corner. Let's not talk about it. No, no, we are to call to him to take it away, to, to, to actually straighten what is twisted in us so that we'd run to him rather than away from him. Then say verse two again, accept what is good, which can be translated, receive us graciously or receive us kindly, Lord. When you turn to God in prayer, is that how you think of him? A God who is kind. And we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Probably means our words will be like sacrifices offered on the altar to God. Remember what God said to them back in Hosea 6? I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. 
knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Or what about King David in that psalm we read earlier on, Psalm 51? What did he say? He said, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. And you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart of God you will not despise. In other words, God doesn't want you to pitch up and suddenly be religious. He doesn't want you to sort your life out before coming to him. He doesn't want you to come and grandstand and do something amazing. No, he wants your heart. He wants a broken and contrite heart from you. This is the good thing that he accepts, a heart that acknowledges that we have nothing to offer him and comes simply asking for forgiveness. Oh Lord, open my lips, says David. Take words with you, says Hosea. Say something. Say you're sorry. Say you can't make it on your own. Admit you're bent and broken and all out of shape. Pour out your frustration that you just feel trapped and totally unable to escape your sins. Own your shame of having to come back to him time and time again with the same sins. And ask for forgiveness. But don't just stop there. I mean, too often we stop there, don't we? We say amen and get up off our knees and we're away before we even think to renounce our sin. Here's the second thing Hosea gives us. Renounce false security. As Hosea's prayer goes on, verse three, Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses and we will say no more our God to the work of our hands. See folks, real repentance is not just turning back to God but turning away from idols. As here we get a list of all Israel's favorite lovers. You know, here's your top three of Israel's lovers. One, Assyria, the local superpower, who Assyria made an, a, an alliance with, thinking they would save them. And in the end, they destroyed them. Two, Egypt, from whom Israel bought war-mounted horses, which in those days was the equivalent of arming yourselves with exocet missiles. Three, Baal, the false god Baal, who they made idols out of wood to worship thinking that everything they had came not from the Lord God, but from the work of their hands. And so Hosea says, renounce them. Get rid of them. Reject all those false gods and false hopes. Now I'm guessing that not many of you attempted to turn to Assyria, are you? (laughs) Maybe not many of you have horses either. And if you do, I'm sure you don't kind of stake your future on them. Unless you're maybe a horse trainer, I don't know, maybe got someone like that. But let me ask you this. How would you finish this sentence? My future will be secure if. My future will be secure if. If God is not at the heart of how you complete that sentence, then it's a false hope. You've modeled up God's gifts with him, the great giver. But real repentance recognizes that those things, they just don't deliver. They don't satisfy our passions and desires. Real repentance says, oh, Father God, I am am so sorry that I've been controlled by other people's opinions of me. I am no longer going to bow down to the God of popularity 
Because I can see that in Christ, the only verdict about me that matters is already in. (laughs) Real repentance says, Father God, I'm not going to trust in other strategies for my security. I will not bow down to the God of money and finance, which can so easily fade and disappear. Because I can see that you're my fortress, you're my provider. And in Christ, I am rich beyond all measure. Real repentance says, Father God, I'm not going to find my identity and my relationship status. I'm not going to bow down to the God of romantic attachment and family. Because now I realize that in Christ, I have a perfect wedding day to look forward, a perfect family to be part of. Do you see, real repentance is not a trip to the dentist to stock up on fillings before another week on the fizzy drinks. It's not coming to confession in order to just go into another week for a full-on week of sinning. This is a decisive turning away from idols to serve the one true and living God. We're to say no more, our God, to the work of our hands but turn from false security and instead express our faith in God's fatherly love. Verse three finishes by saying, in you the orphan finds mercy. And real repentance comes like an unloved child rejected by their birth parents who against all odds, all expectation, finds a father's loving embrace. You see, God doesn't want us to return to him, being forced to spit out a sniveling apology before a sibling who is probably delighting in all of this and and probably actually started it all in the first place. No, 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 that's not real repentance. Real repentance comes to and ends up with us being wrapped in the embrace of an everlasting, ever-loving, strong, godly father who accepts those who no one else would love. I mean, look at the lavishness of his love in verse four. God promises, I will heal their their apostasy, which is a word that basically describes the way God's people had so readily ran away from him. But now he says, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I wonder if you've ever thought about forgiveness just being a bit too easy for for Christians. You know, quick prayer of confession, I'm sorry, and then boom, it's all forgiven and forgotten. Brilliant. I mean, what about justice? What about taking sin seriously? I mean, what about these 13 chapters we've already had from Hosea of sin and unfaithfulness and idolatry? And now we get two verses of repentance, and it's all forgiven. But what did it cost God to say verse 4? Is how easy is forgiveness? It is as easy as having your son nailed to a cross. You see, the judgment Hosea has been proclaiming does come on God's people, but it falls on Jesus in our place. God's anger, which he's perfectly right to have against us because of the way that we have treated him, is bearing down on us, coming to crush us, but before it reaches us, God, do you see verse four? He turns it away. And it must go somewhere and it ends up on Jesus on the cross. The cross, if you like, is a lightning conductor that absorbs the terrible force of God's anger in full. So it does not fall on us. 
And now if we turn back to God in repentance, he will love us freely because of Christ. There's no holding a grudge. There's no penance. There's no having to sit out in the doghouse for weeks. He's so quick to forgive because of Christ. And he's also quick to, secondly, and you'll be glad to hear much more briefly, (laughs) he is quick to promise the fullest life possible to those who repent. What is the result of our turning to God in repentance? Well, it's there in verses five to seven. As God is promising that if we turn to him, we will flourish. And as you look at those verses, you'll, you'll see that uh, from all these verses to living things and, and growing things there, that the flourishing that is the end point of repentance. But you'll also maybe notice a few kind of um, references to Lebanon. <laughs> What's that all about? Three times. Well, Lebanon was just north of Israel, and it was famous for its snow-capped mountains, its vast forests, its ancient vines, its sandy beaches. In fact, I, I've been checking out Lebanon because of this this week, and it appears like Lebanon is becoming a bit of a holiday hotspot, a bit like kind of Croatia did a few years ago. Um, in fact, earlier on this week, Fiona and I booked our, our, our summer holidays for next year. Um, and then on Friday, I was browsing Visit Lebanon website. And I felt like I really missed out. <laughs> I mean, seriously, three minutes on the Visit Lebanon website, and you will want to go. It is spectacular. This place is paradise. And God says, that could be you. <laughs> this is how repentance transforms you. It's where repentance leads you. Do you want to be beautiful and lovely, verse 5, like the blossom of a lily? Do you want to be strong and secure, verse 5 again, unshakable like the trees of Lebanon? Do you want to be, verse 6, full of vitality and life where previously there was nothing, spreading out life to others like roots of a tree, being the kind of person who brings the fragrance of Christ into every room you enter? Do you want to be fruitful, verse 7? Do you actually want to produce in your life something that matters? And do you want to be famous, not by coming to go on the X Factor or um, Strictly Come Dancing, but by being known as a place of shelter and refreshment for others? Some of the promises here like, I will be like the Jutas. It might not seem like much to you, especially as we live in Newcastle, let's face it. You know, we are not short of precipitation here. But imagine living in a place where it did not rain for months on end. The promise of dew has a special meaning there. And maybe this morning you're feeling spiritually dry. Well, Hosea's invitation is, look to God to be your dew, your refreshment, your renewal. Turn to him. Come home. And he will revive you. Maybe you're feeling defeated by your sin this morning. As if you could never escape the repeated patterns of failure. Or Isaiah saying, don't despair. Don't give up. Come home to God. And he will help you fight sin. And he will change you from the inside so you will blossom and flourish and grow as a person. Or maybe you've never known God. To you, he's simply been an idea up until now. 
You've never thought of him like a father. But he is. He is a father unlike any earthly father we would ever know. A perfect one who you can trust. So turn to him and he will never let you down. So don't hesitate. Don't let the devil deceive you into thinking you can make it on your own. Repent. Do it daily. Do it diligently. Do it even when you don't want to. Do it using the words of Hosea 14 if you just simply can't think what to say. But most of all, do it delighting in the God who loves you more than words can say and who can make you and your life and the life of those around you flourish like nothing else can. After all, isn't that how Hosea finishes? Let me finish with verse 8. O Ephraim, which is basically a kind of nickname for Israel. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them but transgressors stumble in them. Let's pray, folks. Let's take a moment to pray on our own. Or as Hosea would say if he was here, let's take words with us and return to the Lord. loving heavenly father receive us graciously forgive us our sin and make us more like you help us to flourish in your mercy we pray this in jesus name amen